Good morning, everyone. As we turn to hear from God's word this morning, we seek to receive it with reverence and humility. And the summons to the word found in your bulletin helps us do just that. Let's read it together. All people are like grass. All their faithfulness is like the flowers of the fields. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our God endures forever. This morning's first scripture reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. In the Blue Pew Bible, it can be found on page 830. Again, the text is Matthew 5, verse 5, found on page 830. It says, Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Our second scripture reading comes from Matthew chapter 11, verses 20 through 30, found on page 836 of the Pew Bibles. Again, the text is Matthew 11, verses 20 through 30, found on page 836. It reads, Then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed, because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? No, you'll go down to Hades. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you that it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. At that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to the little children. Yes, Father, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have, uh, all things have been committed to me by my Father, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Thank you, Dakota. Let's, uh, let's begin with prayer. Heavenly Father, um, Father, I pray that you would send your spirit to open our eyes so that we might actually see, to see you for who you are, to see your son Jesus for who he is, to see ourselves and others for who they are, that we might see your mighty deeds, your mighty acts, that we might understand your ways. Father, your ways are so mysterious. Father, um, I pray this morning that, uh, that you would change us, that you would grow us. Uh, Father, we cannot change ourselves for all of the uh, makeovers, for all of the facade, for all of the, the ways that we can temporarily pursue a course of modification and self-improvement. Father, it will all fail. For flesh gives birth to flesh. And behold, we cannot change uh, Father, we cannot escape the gravity of our, of our own sin, of its power. And so we cry out to you <clears throat> that you indeed would act, that you would perform an act of new creation in each and every one of our hearts this morning. And that, Father, as the psalmist has prayed, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I wanted to conclude our uh, series through the uh, through the the uh, fruit of the spirit 
by re returning to the, uh, the particular virtue or fruit uh, called meekness. And uh, part of that is simply because there is, I just thought it was timely. Secondly, it's something that I need to hear a lot in my own life. In fact, I, I, whenever I've preached on meekness, um, and I don't know about you, but just the, most of the summer as I preached on these various virtues, I realized how little of it was in my own life um, in a way that I was surprised that I, I would get up on a Sunday morning and think probably I I'm, probably need to hear this just as much, if not more, than anyone else in the room. And this morning is no exception. In fact, I feel like if I had known what I, I'm about to share now, if I had known it a year ago, five years ago, ten years ago, I wonder if the course of my life would be very different from what it is now. Um, but um, last time when we talked about meekness, we talked about meekness with respect to ourselves. Uh, we talked about the idea that basically meekness says, I don't need to be a big deal. Do you remember that? Meekness says, you know, I don't need to be this mover and shaker. I don't need to be the one who jumps in the pond and creates, this all, creates all the waves. I don't have to be the focus of attention. I don't have to be the mover and a shaker. I don't need to be the one who the, the, uh, is in the limelight. And Jesus himself, as we talked about, he exhibits that. We, there are three places in Matthew's gospel that speak of meekness. The first is, the, it will, uh, Dakota read two of them. The first is in the, the Beatitude, blessed are the meek. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. The second one is found here where Jesus describes himself. It's a famous invitational passage in verse 28 of chapter 11 where he says, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from you, for I am, the NIV translates fairly, for I am gentle. The word there is the same word as in Matthew 5 that's translated meek, a prouse or prautetas. It's this notion of, uh, of, again, of a humility that doesn't need to be the center of attention, that doesn't need, it's not even, it's, any, it's, not even, it's more than just limelight. It's about meekness is not being, not needing to be the one who makes the difference. And it speaks very much to my own life because I, I, that's, that's who I want to be. I want to be someone who wakes up in the morning and does more before breakfast than most people do all day. I want to wake up in the morning and go to bed at night and having moved the ball down the field. I want to be of use. I want to help. And Jesus is saying is actually, uh, he speaks of meekness as someone who says, you know, I'm just going to do my thing and be faithful in my thing and leave to the Lord however he chooses to use it. So that's meekness with respect to self. And that's what we talked about last time. But there's also a different act, aspect to meekness. And so again, the first is meekness with respect to oneself that says, I don't need to be a big deal. But there's also a meekness with respect to society, with respect to the world in which we live, and specifically the evils within the world around us. See, as every single one of us, whether we're, whether we're religious or irreligious, whether we are uh, philosophical or just sort of practical living our lives, we have to ask the question, how will I respond to the injustices, the evils that are all around me, that you see every day on the news, that you go to school, you see brokenness, you go to work, you see, uh, you see corruption, wherever you go, 
you, we have to form some way of responding to all that is wrong with the world around us. And meekness calls us to a particular response. Now, there are two ways, and, well, more than two, but I'm going to just simplify it to, to say that there are two ways that we can respond to the injustices around us. The first is simply to ignore, to embrace a position of apathy, to say, you know what, it's not my problem. And to sort of stick our heads in the sand, and maybe it's simply through career, or through, it's through, through the pursuit of pleasure in life, whatever it is, we just... We, we, we sort of take care of ourselves. We find our own little plot of suburbia and we, 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 we build up our 401k and we do our own thing. And that's one response. The other response to the injustices of this world that's very common is not apathy, but anger, right? We can get so angry. How many of you, when you watch the news, you just start getting angry? Or there's, another, there's a softer sort of anger that doesn't express itself maybe in this sort of rant or rage. It expresses itself in cynicism. So for cynicism is often a form of anger. You're just like, I'm so done with all of this. And I don't know about you, my, my temptation often is to respond to sort of all, in all kinds of ways. One moment I'm apathetic. I'm like, ah, forget, I just don't care. I'm going to do my own thing. The next moment I'm angry. And I'm frustrated. Oh, those, how could those people do that? Or right, you read the news, you read about politics, you read about our culture today. And the temptation is just to be so overcome with anger. And it's so interesting. I wanted, I wanted uh, Dakota to read this section here from verse 20 forward because you see, you see this, the, the context in which Jesus invites us to, to come to him. He calls, he says, come to me, all you are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. So Jesus is calling us not to apathy, to say, I really don't care. He's not calling us to an anger that just makes, just consumes us. He's calling us, listen to this, he's calling us to rest. It's really interesting. Then the face of all the wrongs of this world, he calls us to a peace. Now again, let me just mention, briefly mention the context. Look at how in verse 20, we read this. As Jesus, then Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent. Isn't that amazing? Jesus shows up and he is casting out demons. He is providing food for those who have none. He is cleansing the lepers. He is giving sight to the blind, hearing to the deaf. He is even raising the dead. And what's the response been? Nothing. Zero repentance. And so he goes on this, uh, he, he den- this, this, this denunciation from verses 21 to verse 24 about how the, how the people of God have failed their hardness of heart. They have failed to respond to the miracles that Jesus has performed. And what's, what I want you to see is, is sometimes we can get really apathetic or angry about the injustices and the, the corruption out there in the world. But here in this passage, it's actually about what? 
the corruption, the hardness of heart, the counterfeit nature of so many who proclaim to be the people of God, but aren't. Does that make sense? These towns in which Jesus went, these are Jewish towns. These are God's, these are God's people. These are circumcised, synagogue attending, you know, you know, just people who would say, you know, hey, I'm a member of the people of God. And yet their hearts are hard. There's no desire for change. There's no desire for growth. And I don't know about you, but certainly as a minister, I can become very disillusioned by that. I want to just say, you know what? Forget this whole church thing. It's so stupid. The church is full of hypocrites. The church is uh, church leaders today are just terrible, and you just walk away from the church, or you can just become angry about it. Just live it. This is just—I mean, I have a number of friends on social media uh, who are in ministry, and to see them times at times just rant. I mean, just the anger. I mean the. The ire, I don't even know what the word is. I mean, it's, be, it's a step beyond anger at how mad they are about, the, about people in the church today. Now, how hard-hearted, how stubborn, how self-righteous, how uh, sold out to politics they are, and right or the left, or whatever it may be. But people get so angry about it. And, under, and, and understandably, I mean, you, can understand, I'm, I'm, you can understand the apathy. Hey, I can't do anything about this. Just I'm going to go do my own thing. And you can understand the anger, right? How can you not care about this? How can you not get worked up? Look at all that's wrong in our society. Look at, look at all that's wrong in the church today. But Jesus is going to call us to something else. He's going to call us to rest. He's going to call us to peace. And what I want to do is, is back up to the first reading that, Matthew, that, that, that Dakota read for us in Matthew 5. That says, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. And what I want to do is, um, you don't know this, but um, so much of Jesus' teaching is actually rooted in the Old Testament. And so, in fact, a number of his Beatitudes, Blessed are the Meek, is one of the Beatitudes. One of the, a number of the Beatitudes are actually rooted in the Old Testament. And what I want to do, I want to take us briefly to that place. So if you click, so to speak, on Matthew 5, 5, on the, on the Beatitude that says, blessed are, blessed are the Meek, it will take you back to a psalm. So if you have your Bible, if you have your Bible, if you can follow along, it would be really helpful to return to, return to, the, Old, to the Old Testament, to the Psalms, to, the, to Psalm 37. So then, and I, I, this morning, what's so much fun about walking through 30, Psalm 37 is that the psalm on the whole is very, very accessible, very understandable. And what's so even more amazing about it is that the psalm is very practical. So let's say that you've gotten, and again, I, I want to emphasize here that, that, that when I mention these two alternatives, that we can respond to evil through apathy, or we can respond to, uh, through anger, David is mostly going to focus on the latter, okay, in this psalm. So maybe there's going to be another sermon another time for apathy, because we know people like that. We know that we can just, we can see, there are people out there, we have fellow brothers and sisters in the Lord, when they see injustice, when they see all that's wrong in the church, they just don't really care. But for those of us who do care, and can often care too much, there's that sense of anger, the sense of, of what in the world is going on here? And David is going to speak directly to that. And well, so I won't cover the whole psalm. I'm just going to walk through maybe the first 10 or 13, uh, 10 or 12 verses or so, 
And, and uh, the psalm is arranged, if you see here in, in the Pew Bible, it's on page 480. You see there, if almost any English Bible will have some sort of note that says, for example, in, in the Pew Bible, it says there's a, there's a footnote there, footnote C. And there in footnote C, it says, this psalm is an acrostic poem, the stanzas of which begin with the successive letters of the Hebrew alphabet. And the reason for an acrostic, it's a, it's a, it's a literary form, it's a way of communicating an idea, again, where every verse starts with the first verse and the second, I'm sorry, the first letter, second letter, third letter of the Hebrew alphabet. Aleph, Beit, Gimel, Dalet, etc., etc. And so, the, and so what, what's the point? Is it just kind of a neat literary device? No, the, the idea is very simple. That what David is communicating an idea that he wants us to see from A to Z. Does that make sense? In other words, think of think when you, uh, some of us can take vitamin supplements. And that vitamin supplement is, this is everything that you need for, 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 for it's everything, from vitamin A to Z, whatever. It's, it's all that you need for this. And he's saying, what I'm about to say with respect to evil within the world, within the church, this is all you need to know. Amazing. And it's so wonderful because unlike a lot of psalms where it's celebration, it's description, it's the psalmist recounting his own perspective, and he's just sort of letting us sort of in the window of his heart or a window into the experience of God's people. Here, this psalm is incredibly exhortational. He tells us what to do after we've just watched the news and we're just so frustrated. Think, oh, I know. Pastor Bruce told me to turn to Psalm 37 and see what David says. So let's walk through this together. He begins, do not fret because of those who are evil. Now, he said, um, the word fret is a very common translation. It's a good translation. The Hebrew there seems to indicate it's the word for to heat up. To heat up. And in fact, it's the reflexive. It says, do not heat yourself up. Right? So often we get mad, what happens? We just, our t- temperature, our, our heartbeat rises, and we just get frustrated. We get, we get hot, we get angry. We often describe anger as burning. The sense of, and, and then sometimes we do that, especially at night. I'll be there, I'll be trying to go to sleep, and I'll be frustrated about something, something that's wrong with the church today, something that's wrong about the world, and literally my temperature will rise, and I will start to sweat. And David's saying, listen, don't fret. Don't get all heated about those who are doing evil. What does it mean for those who are doing evil? For those who are bringing simply harm, who are hurting and harming more than they are helping, whether it's in the church or outside. Don't don't get overheated about those, over those who are harming or bringing harm or hurt to our world, to the church. And then traditionally, as it says here in NIV, or be envious of those who do wrong. It's a fine translation. In the Hebrew, the the word for envy is also can be translated as zeal. You may be zealous. And the idea here is, it seems to be something about getting all worked up. You go on the war path. You let everyone know. You become passionate and zealous about this cause, about this particular political issue, about this particular social issue, about this particular issue within the church. You're going to do everything you can. You're going to go on the war path. 
So it's not just envying evildoers. It's, it's, it's the sense of going on a warpath against those who do wrong. And we appoint ourselves as agents of divine justice, self-appointed, in fighting this particular wrong. And David says, don't do it. Why is that? Verse 2. For like grass, like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. David has this this really intriguing and controversial conception of, of the demise of evildoers. He says, one, and this metaphor, we won't go through the whole psalm here, but this metaphor of this agricultural or really botanical metaphor is this really powerful way of saying, yeah, they, they grow up, they flourish, they're green, they're beautiful, there's a sense of luxuriance, a sense of, of, of and it's like, wow, that's really, it's really working. But he says, before you know it, they wither and die. And what's so important is that no one is even needed to make that happen. Right? That was just like, just like stick with the metaphor of, the, of, a, of, a, of, a, of a plant. It has its own what? Life cycle. It, it built into the plant is this sense of, okay, I'm going to be small, I'm going to germinate, I'm going to grow, I'm going to flourish, and then what? I'm going to wither, I'm going to fade, and I'm going to die. That within the DNA of the evildoer is the very, the, very, the very means of destruction. David is saying, hey listen, you don't need to be so angry. You don't need to go in the warpath. In time, they're going to self-destruct. That's an amazing thing. I, mean, I can't tell you how many people I know who are very well intending, especially, I mean, I, I, I know, I don't, I'm going to out myself, I think it's surprising, I know more conservative, uh, those who are politically conservative than I do, those who are politically progressive. I have friends across the spectrum, but I'm speak specifically here to the conservative. I don't, can't tell you how many of them spend their time figuring out how are the conservatives going to overcome how are we going to uh, fight these evils on the progressive side? And I have this saying on the other side. People since there all this time, and David is saying, wherever there is evil, whether it's on the left or the right, guess what? It's going to self-destruct. It will undo itself. So what does that mean? Do we just do nothing? You just sit there and fold your hands and just, just, you're not, you just sort of disengage? That's not what he says. Verse, verse 3. He says, trust in the Lord. That in the midst of evil, we're called first and foremost to time out and say, listen, I am going to lean upon God and his justice. Believing that he sees, that he knows what's happening. That he is in no way apathetic. He is not share in the apathy over here. But nor is he ready to go on the warpath. Okay? And where this is going, I'll skip ahead here to verse... Uh, uh, verse 12, the wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. Verse 13, but the Lord laughs at the wicked. Isn't that amazing? So it's not, it's not, it's not apathy. 
It's not anger. What is God doing? He's laughing. Why is he laughing? What does the verse say? He laughs at the wicked for he knows their day is coming. So he's not apathetic. It's so important to hear. This is not a sermon about God just yawning in the face of injustice. He just doesn't care. We don't need to care either. But he's not ready to go on the warpath yet. Yet. He is slow to anger. He is working his purposes, not just in spite of the evil people, evil, you know, the evil men in this world, evildoers, but even through the evildoers of this world. And so he's laughing. Who do they think they are? Do they really think they're going to get away with this? He's laughing because he knows their day is coming, but that day is not today. I am not going to be the agent of justice. I'm not going to be this, this one who's going to change everything and expose everything and make it all happen. So he calls us to trust in him, to really trust the Lord. Do I believe that God is bigger than these evildoers? Do I believe that he's bigger than the corruption within the corporate world, the corruption within the political world, the corruption within the church today? Is he bigger than all of that? And then, and then he says this, trust in the Lord and what? Go local, go immediate. What good can I do today? What are my gifts? What are the resources that I have at my disposal? No, it doesn't address the Democratic Party. It doesn't address the Republican Party. No, it doesn't address all these massive, huge cultural issues. But what good can I do today? I can invest in a little one over in the daycare. I could call up someone else in the church, have coffee with them, pray for them, talk to them. I could disciple people. I could reach out to a coworker at you know, a coworker who's hurting, going through divorce, whatever. There's so much good that we can do right here, right now. And Paul's, and David's saying, go local. Trust in the Lord with these bigger things and simply look around and say, okay, I can't do A, B, C, and D. I'm not being called to fight these, these big these dragons. But what am I being called to do? Well, I certainly am called to do simply what is good. Verse, the second half of verse 3, dwell in the land. Here, as, as a, to, 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 I won't take the time to explain that in the Old Testament. Well, I'm just very briefly. He says to dwell in the land. The idea is that when there's all these evils going on in the land of Israel, what's the temptation to do? Those of you, if you know the book of Ruth, you know that if there's a famine in the land, God's people are disobeying. So what does Elimelech do? He takes off and goes where? To Moab. He says, Look at there's so much corruption in the people of God. I'm out of here. And he checks out. And, you know, and David's saying, no, no, don't go anywhere. Stick around. Invest. As corrupt, as fallen, as broken as the people of God are, continue to invest in the people of God. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. That second half of the translation, enjoy safe pasture, is a, is a, the Hebrew there is, I don't even, I'm not sure what's going on there. Enjoy safe pasture is a good guess. Verse 4, take delight in the Lord. I love this. In the face of injustice, what do you do to do? Simply focus on who he is. In all his faithfulness, his majesty, his goodness, his wisdom, his, his power. Take delight in the Lord. And here's the thing that I think is so important about injustice. 
when we see so much injustice around us, and it even begins to, begins to encroach upon us, we can feel that it's going to rob us of a good life. It's going to rob us of, of really having a life of fulfillment. And, and David says otherwise here. He says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I mean, what a promise, right? What an amazing promise. Again, he continues in verse 5, commit your way to the Lord. Okay, God, all these evils and justice are going to run me, but I know this is what you're calling me to do. This is what faithful looks like, faithfulness looks like for me. And I'm going to commit my way to, to, me, to you. I'm going to give this to you. This is my calling. This is my role. As humble, as seemingly inconsequential as it is, I'm going to commit my way to you. Trust in him and he will do this. Verse 4. In time, he will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn your vindication like the noonday sun. David promises eventual vindication. doesn't say when, doesn't say how, but he promises that it, it will indeed come. And let me, uh, let, me can, let me just mention a few more verses. You get the general idea, but again, reading through this psalm, when we are angry, when we're frustrated, when we feel disillusioned, when we feel a sense uh, that the bad guys are always winning, it's a balm for our soul. Just a few more verses. Be still before the Lord. I love that. The, the Hebrew, be silent, be still. Like, just, just stop talking. Stop all your machinations. Stop all of this, just the busyness of our hearts and our minds. And be still before the Lord. And wait patiently for him. He returns to the same word from verse 1. Do not fret. Don't get all heated up. Don't get all frustrated. Don't let the temperature rise. Do not fret when people succeed in their ways, when they carry out their wicked schemes. Verse 8, refrain from anger and turn from wrath. A third time, do not fret. <laughs> He's got to say it three times. Do not fret. And I love this. It leads only to evil. Brothers and sisters, let me close with this. All the anger, the ire, the frustration. David says it leads only to evil. And by evil here, he doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to do something evil, although we can. He means, he means it leads only to harm. He's saying nothing good is going to come from all the, just the passion and the emotion and the frustration. Nothing good is going to come from it. It won't be redemptive in any way, shape, or form. So just don't even bother. Just refrain from the anger. Verse 9, For those who are evil will be destroyed. They will be destroyed. Again, think of the agricultural metaphor. If within the DNA of the plant is that eventual self-destruction. It, it, it grows, it blossoms, it flourishes, and then the season passes, and it fades, and it dries up, and withers, and dies. With no help needed, no one needs to do anything to it, no one needs to you know, come up and dig it up, it just simply dies. Okay? The wicked of this earth are not oaks. They're not oaks. They're plants. Just simple 
lowly plants that may flourish for a little time, weeds that may flourish, and then after a while, they're gone. So he's calling us, David is here calling us to meekness. And if you know the story of David, you know just how much evil he experienced. You know how much he was considered, regarded as an enemy of the state, and was on the run for so very long, pursued by the one who was the Lord's anointed. By, by King Saul. So he knew, he knew what it was like to, to live in an Israel and to live amongst the God's people where it seemed like all the wrong people were in charge, when everything was so messed up, where there was so much corruption, where people were selling out right and left. He knew what that was like. And he calls us to, to this beautiful exhortation. You see it there in verse, uh, <clears throat> verse 10. A little while and the wicked will be no more. Though you look for them, they will not be found. Verse 11, boom. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. 